God Brings Our Homes by Pastor Ryan Cochran and based on scripture Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 to 12. Let's pray together and at the beginning of the prayer take a moment to quiet your heart and your mind before God. God, we thank you for this ancient word from Deuteronomy. Lord, what it speaks to us about your word and the place that it is to have in our lives. God, I pray that you would show us today how the word of God can be at the very center of who we are in our our homes and, God, in every place that we go, uh, that the word of God would have its central place in our hearts. Show us that today. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. May the Lord be with you. Amen. Our homes. All of us have one. All of us have a home. All this morning came from our homes to this place. Uh, Some of us came a fair distance from our homes to get there this morning. Uh, Some of us Walked about 10 seconds to get here this morning. We all live in very different homes. Uh, Some of us came from very large, uh, expensive homes. Uh, Some of us came from very small, inexpensive homes. We live in Vancouver, that's not true. We came from small, expensive homes. Some of you came from homes that are are your own, that you have worked for for a long time in your life to pay for. Others of you came from homes that you rent from someone else. All of us have a home, the place where we go to sleep, the place where we rest and eat, the place that holds most of our earthly goods. All of us have a home. And for all of us, our home, when we think about it, when we imagine it, it it is a place that is a mixture of of happiness as well as probably disappointments and frustrations. For most of us, our our homes are a place that that are filled with good memories and also a place where we anticipate good memories that we're going to make in the future. But at the same time, it's a place that also holds for us some difficult memories as well some painful memories. Or maybe for you, the home that you came from today is somewhat new to you. Maybe you are a newcomer to Canada or have recently moved. Maybe you're a senior who has recently left the place that you've called home for so long and now are in some other senior's home. And the place where you live right now doesn't feel like home. It does not yet hold a lot of those memories for you, and even though you may call it your home now, it doesn't really feel like it to you. All of us have some ideas, uh, some images in our heads, some feelings that are conjured up in our hearts when we think about home, some of them good, some of them not so good, some of them filled with joy, and some of them filled with pain. And I think it's because that our homes are so important to us such an important part of our lives because of that, 
It is filled with these, this tension of being this good place filled with good memories and this place also of disappointment. There are places where we've celebrated anniversaries and birthdays and Christmases, and there are also places where we have said words to one another that we wished we wouldn't have said. Our homes are places where we have enjoyed great meals with family and with friends, and it's also a place where times where we have felt alone and by ourselves, a place where we've shed lots of tears. Our homes are places where we've celebrated our kids' accomplishments and we felt proud of them. And there are also places where we have yelled at our kids in frustration and in anger. Our homes. They're important places in our lives, aren't they? For most of us, I would say they are the most important place in our lives. It's the place where we spend the most of our time It's the place where we've invested a lot of our money, and as Jesus said, where our treasure is, there our heart is going to be also. Our home is the place where we will interact most with the people who are the most important to us. Well, this morning, if you haven't figured it out yet, we're going to be talking about our homes. Because our homes, because our homes are such important places for us, we need to give serious reflection on what God has to say about our homes, about what the purpose of our homes are, about what God's purpose is for our homes, to reflect on God's presence there in our homes and to reflect on what he wants to do in us and through us there in our homes. Have you ever given much thought to that? What does your faith in Christ have to do with your home? What part does Jesus play in your home? What purpose might God have for you and for your home? Jesus wants to bring the power and the joy of his crucified and resurrected life into your home. Jesus wants to be the very center of your home. He wants you to encounter him there and to make you more like him there. Jesus has a purpose for your home, and he has invited you to use your home for his sake. I want to start this morning by taking a look at an important passage from the book of Deuteronomy. So if you haven't opened your Bibles yet, I would encourage you to turn there to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, we read the Hebrew Shema, uh, one of the most important prayers in the life of Israel. The Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This Shema, uh, a Shema actually means hear or listen. And one way that people have suggested that Shema could be informally translated is listen up. Pay attention. Pay attention, Israel. Listen up. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. The Shema continues to be recited by Jewish people daily, twice a day, up to the present day. It was a prayer that Jesus himself would have prayed every day of his life. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is 
one. The Shema reminds us, as God's people, that our lives have one purpose. That is to serve the one God. God is first in our lives. Nothing else can come before him. Nothing else can be more important than him. God cannot be used to help us gain some other thing that we think might be more important or more desirable. God is the first and the last in our lives. All other things are to come second to him. God is first in our lives. It is him that will bring us the most joy and satisfaction. God is first. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, the Shema is about who God is as the first and last in our lives. And I want to suggest to you that verse 5, the very next verse, is the application for verse 4. God is one. Nothing else can come before him in our life. So what does this mean for us? Well, we must love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our strength. We must love him with everything that we have. In every aspect of our lives, we are called to love God. In our work life, in our friendships, in our home life, all of these places are places where we are called to express our love for God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. How is it possible to live a life like this? A life where God is the first and the last, the most important, the only one that ultimately matters. The only possible way for us to live like this is for our hearts themselves to be changed. You and I cannot simply decide today to make God first in our lives. We cannot simply decide today to love God in every aspect of our lives. Uh, This is a matter of God's work on our inner self, on our hearts. It's a matter of spiritual formation that God wants to do in us. Our hearts need to be shaped and formed to love God. In our natural selves, we do not love God. Our hearts will always be drawn to something. We'll love something else other than God first. And so it is our hearts, our inner selves, our spiritual selves that must be changed so that we love God. And Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 6 gives some instructions for how we can be shaped by God to love him with all of our heart. He says to us that the word of God must be written on our hearts and then goes on to describe the ways that the word of God needs to become central to our life. If we're going to love God with all of our heart and our soul and our strength, then the commands of God, the word of God, must become the language of your heart. The language that your heart speaks needs to be the word of God. And so Moses says to the people, He says to us that we must make the word of God an integral part of our everyday life. If we want to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength, then we must make the word of God a part of our everyday life. Notice that in this passage, 
Moses says nothing about the people going to the temple to hear and to meditate on the word of God. Although going to the temple would have been an important place for Israel to hear the word of God, what is vital to their spiritual formation, what is vital to them loving the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength, is making the word of God a part of their everyday life, their everyday moment-by-moment existence. And the same is true for us. Coming here to this church building, to Sunday morning worship, is a vital and central part of our spiritual life. It is a place where we come to hear the word of God. But if we want the word of God to be written on our hearts, for the word of God to be the language that our heart speaks, then the word of God must become an integral part of our everyday life. A 30-minute sermon every week is not enough to make the word of God the language of your heart. We all know I am not that good of a preacher. If you want the word of God to be the language of your heart, the overflow of your heart, then it must be a consistent and constant source of your meditation and reflection every day, in whatever place, in whatever time you find yourself. As Moses says, when you are sitting at home or when you are walking along the road, when you are lying down or when you are getting up. I really love these images that Moses gives to us about the centrality of the commands and word word of God, the, the way that has to be central in our life. And I've been thinking about these symbols, these images that Moses uses in this passage to describe how the word of God is to have this central place in our life. Look at verse 7. Moses says that the commands that I give today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I think what Moses is saying is that whatever place you are in, whether you are sitting at home or whether you are walking along the road out in the world, doing some other business outside of your home, the word of God is to be a part of your life. And not only whatever place you are in, whether you're home or someplace else, but also whatever time it is, the word of God is to have a central place in your life. Whether it is in the getting up in the morning or the going to bed at night or anywhere in between, the word of God is to be a part of your thoughts and your meditation. The images of verse 7 are saying to us that the the way that the word of God gets written on our hearts is to spend time meditating on the word of God in every place and at every time. In other words, wherever you go and whatever time it is, the word of God is to be a part of your thoughts and meditations. In other words, a part of your everyday life. Life. And then in verse 8, Moses gives us a different set of images. And these images I don't think are about time and place, but instead are about our relationships that we have with one another. That the Word of God is to be a part of all of our different relationships. Let's look at verse 8. The commands of God, you tie them as symbols on your hands 
and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your city gates. He says that the word of God is to be tied, to be bound to your hands and to your forehead. The word of God is to be at the center of your relationship with your own self. In our wrestling with what it means to be a person, what we do with our minds and what we do with our hands, the word of God is to inform us about ourself, about our relationship with our own self. When we think about who we are, the word of God is to be there, informing us of who we are. The word of God is to be written on the door frames of your houses. This is a symbol of how the word of God is to be a part of the relationship of those in our homes. In our families, the word of God is to be the source of how we solve our conflicts with each other. The word of God is the source that teaches us how to love one another in those times when it's not easy to love one another. In our relationships with our families, the word of God tells us about who we are as families, and about what our families should be like. Write the word of God on the door frames of your houses. And also, write the word of God on your city gates. This is talking about our relationships outside of our homes, in the public, out in the marketplace, in our businesses that we go to, in our neighborhoods, at the park, at the local local coffee shop. The word of God tells us, as the people of God, who Uh, what our relationships are to be in the public square, what they should look like, how we should conduct ourselves in these relationships, and what the purpose of those relationships are. In every relationship, our relationship with ourself, our relationship with our families, our relationship with those out in the public, the word of God is to be at the center, the source of our understanding of what those relationships are and what they are all about. Deuteronomy chapter 6 tells us that in every time and in every place and in every relationship, the word of God is to be there. I think one of the things that the scripture teaches us and reminds us of is that every single moment of our lives are a place where our hearts are being formed in one way or another. Every single moment of our lives, we are being spiritually formed by something, by some message, by something that our heart desires and goes after, by some other person or by some other thing. As human beings, we are spiritual beings whose hearts are always in the process of spiritual formation. And if we do not allow the Word of God to be present with us at every single moment, allowing the word of God to be the source of that spiritual formation, then we will be shaped by these other things. Our hearts will desire these other things and will go toward these other things. In each and every place, at every time, in every relationship, we are going through a process of being spiritually formed. That spiritual formation that's happening in our heart might be good, It might be being spiritually formed into the image of Jesus if we're allowing the word of God to speak to us in those places. But if we're not, that spiritual formation could be bad. It could be spiritual malformation away from Christ, away from what our hearts are supposed to be. 
at every time, in every place, in every relationship. Our hearts are being formed and shaped. And this morning in particular, we want to talk about what God wants our, how our, God wants our homes to be, a place of spiritual formation into the image of Christ. How it is our daily life in our homes are a place of this spiritual formation. So we're presently in this sermon series called Be Alive. And we've been talking about how the resurrection of Christ impacts our life every day. Resurrection is something that we will all experience one day when our bodies are raised to life through the power of Christ on the last day. But we are also called in the scriptures to experience the power of the resurrection now, as the resurrection of Christ have made, has made our spirits alive with Christ. Paul tells us that the Spirit of God indwelling in us is the first fruit, the promise, the guarantee of the full resurrection that we will experience one day in the day to come. And so right now, by that spirit, we are invited to share in the power and joy of the resurrected life of Christ, as our spirits have been made alive to him and open to God. In our lives, we can now experience victory over sin. Right now, we can experience victory over death, as death has lost its sting because we know that eternity is coming. Right now, we can experience victory in our life over the broken relationships that we have. Right now, we are called to be alive, to experience the power and the joy of the resurrected life in every aspect of our life. So the last two weeks, we've talked about experiencing this resurrected life in our jobs and in our friendships. And today, we're going to be talking about how we experience it in our homes. In each of these sermons we've had, had four points, and the first point has been this. If we're going to experience the power of the resurrection in every aspect of our lives, if we're going to experience the power of the resurrection in our homes, then we must be a people who have died. A people who have died. To experience resurrection, there must be a death that takes place. Some death that we die to the world. Some death to the values and principles of the world. If we're going to experience resurrection, then we must be a people who have died. In regard to our homes, I want to suggest to you today that we need to die to the idea that our home belongs to us. Die to the idea that our home belongs to us as a separate retreat away from the rest of the world. It's tempting for us to compartmentalize our life. We have our work life over here. We have our church life over here. And we have our home life over here. And to see our life at home as the place where I do my thing. My home life is where I get my work done. My home life is where I do what I want to do, and no one else can come in and interfere with it. No one else, perhaps even God, can weasel their way in to this compartment of my life. We need to die to the idea that our homes belong to us as our safe, 
comfortable place away from everything else. Our home is our castle, it is often said. This is the idea that we often have of our homes. A, a castle a castle is something that needs to be defended. A castle has a moat around it usually, right? A moat to keep other people out or at least to only allow those people in that we like. In whatever way this idea is true for you, this idea that our home belongs to you as our safe and comfortable place away from everything else, that idea needs to die or you will not experience the resurrection of Christ in your home. Your home does not belong to you. Some of you may be thinking, I know it doesn't belong to me. My mortgage payment every month reminds me that it doesn't belong to me. But whether you rent your house or whether you own it along with Royal Bank or whether you own it outright after spending decades of paying for it, it still does not belong to you. Your home has been given to you as a gift from God and you are only a steward of it. Your home is not your own. Second, if we are going to experience the power of the resurrection in our homes, then we will be a people who are open to God in our homes. Moses says to us in Deuteronomy that the word of God is to be written on our hearts, that we are to impress the word of God into the hearts of our children, that the word of God is to be a part of our conversations when we're sitting at home or when we're walking along the road, or if Moses were writing today, as we are driving along the road in the car. The word of God is to be written on the doorposts of our homes, he says. I don't think that Moses could have been more clear. The word of God is to be an integral part of our life in our homes. Now, one of the things that many of us do while we are sitting at home is watch TV. Many of us probably watch more TV than we should, right? So if this is one of the ways that we're going to choose to spend our time, if this is one of the ways that we're going to sit at home, then... We need to recognize how our TV watching is allowing our hearts to be formed in a certain way. Remember, our hearts are always being shaped and formed all of the time, everywhere. And if we are going to be a people who, as we sit at home, watch TV, we need to watch TV like a Christian. I thought about entitling this sermon, How to Watch TV Like a Christian. As we watch television, we are constantly being bombarded with messages, and I would say that they are spiritual messages, messages about who we are as human beings and how we should relate to one another and to the world, messages through, these, uh, through the shows that we watch themselves as well as through the many commercials that we see uh, teach us, are trying to teach us something about ourselves. And if we're going to spend time watching television, we need to be very critical of the messages that we are hearing. We need to, at every time as we are sitting at home, even when you are watching TV, to make sure that the Word of God is a part of your TV watching. As you are sitting at home, Moses says. What does the Word of God have to say about what you are watching? 
We need to learn very, to be very critical of what we see, and I suggest also to teach our children to be very critical and discerning about what they see. I've had two uh, very proud dad moments in the last six months, and I want to tell you about both of them. Uh, the first of them was at McDonald's, probably about six months ago. And we walked into McDonald's, and of course, what question did Gloria ask? Can I have a Happy Meal and get that princess toy that they're showing me? And I said to her, uh, no, Gloria, you can't get that today. And she stopped, and she looked at me, and she said, yeah, because those toys are junk, right? The second one was when we were driving along the road recently and we drove past a car dealership. And there was a car sitting on one of those mounts where the car was spinning around in circles. You've probably seen that before. And Gloria, of course, asked, Dad, why is that car spinning around in a circle? And I said, that car spinning around in a circle because they wanted to draw your attention. And that car dealership is trying to get us to buy that car. But Gloria, what do we usually say to people who want us to buy things? And she said, we say no. Yes. Yes. Even if Gloria isn't always as obedient as I want her to be, I knew in those moments that something was getting through to her. I want her to be critical of the messages that she's seen on television, on the messages and the advertisement that she sees every single day. I want her to be critical of those things because people are trying to sell her junk all of the time. Trying to sell us junk all of the time. So as a church today, I want us to practice this together right now. I'm going to show us a television commercial. This is a commercial from Coldwell Banker, a real estate company, and they want us to buy a home from them. So let's take a look. It's a powerful commercial. When we watch a commercial like this, I think we need to be critical of some of the things that we are seeing in it and the messages that are being communicated to us. I thought there was nothing morally wrong with anything in that commercial. It's actually quite a beautiful commercial. But we need to ask some questions about what this commercial is saying to us. We need to ask what the commercial is trying to stir up in our hearts. What is the commercial trying to make us love? I think this last question is a big one. What is the commercial trying to make us love? Advertisers know that if they can appeal to our hearts, to our desires, then they have us right where they want us. And they do a really good job of appealing to our desires and our hearts. Billions of dollars every year are spent advertising to our hearts, trying to grab our heart's attention. So let me say a few things about what I see in this commercial. First, I think there's a lot of good things about what this commercial says about our homes. I like that, that the commercial portrays our home as a place where other people are welcome, not just ourselves and our family to interact. It talked about the man cave, you know, the, the place where guys can get together and to be together. 
It talked about you know, Friday night sleepovers with the kids. It talked about cookouts uh, with other people. There's some good things uh, about this commercial, some good images that this commercial gives to us about our home. But there's also some other things that are dangerous about what this commercial says as well. And I think I could say a lot of things. I actually sent this commercial to about a half dozen of my friends and asked them, what do you like about this commercial and what do you not like about this commercial? And I have about two pages of of things that people said about this commercial. Uh, The first thing that I want to say today, I could say a lot of things. The first thing is that it makes our home into the place that satisfies our hopes rather than God. It makes our home into a place that satisfies our hopes rather than God. Coldwell Banker is the one who has been fulfilling dreams for over a hundred years. And the message is that only, if only you and I found the perfect one with the help of Coldwell Banker, whose entire vocation in life is to find the perfect one for you. If we find that perfect one, then we will be satisfied. Then our dreams will be fulfilled. Now, all of us know this isn't true. All of us know that the commercial is overstating itself. The advertisers themselves know that the commercial is overstating itself, but yet they tell us that over and over again. This product will fulfill your dreams. The second thing that I want to say about this commercial, and I think this is the really important one and gets really at the heart of spiritual formation And this is very common with almost every commercial that you watch. What a commercial does is it highlights the dissatisfaction that all of us have with our lives. It highlights the dissatisfaction that all of us have with our lives. And it gives us this picture or this image of a good life that they claim will be possible for you with their product or their service. Advertisers prey on this sense of dissatisfaction that all of us have with our lives. All of us feel like our homes are not what they should be. All of us are frustrated because our homes are not as neat and tidy as they could be. Are frustrated because our relationships on our home aren't perfect. Are frustrated because we don't have enough time for our friends and family and Friday night sleepovers and man cave things. We are all disappointed in some ways, in our home. All of us have this sense of dissatisfaction, and advertisers go right at that sense of dissatisfaction, and they paint a picture of what a satisfied life could be like for you. Our lives are perfect, and they know it. And they paint a picture of that perfect life, and they say, take and eat. Our homes are places of spiritual formation. And here's the point that I want to make. God is in the dissatisfaction and disappointments of your home. God is in the dissatisfaction and disappointments of your home, and it's in those times that God most uses to make you like Christ. Your homes do not have to be like that in order to experience God there. Your homes do not have to be like that in order to experience joy in your home. 
in your dissatisfaction, in your frustration and disappointments and conflicts in your home, God is there and he wants the word of God, his word, to be right at the center, speaking into those moments of disappointment and frustration and causing you to act like Jesus in that moment. If we are willing to die... And if we are willing to be open to God in our homes in whatever way, I suggest we will then be a people of joy. We will be a people of joy in our homes. This past week has been a frustrating week in the Cochrane home. It's been a disappointing and frustrating week in our home. We have all been really sick. Wednesday night, two of our youngest girls got sick. They were sick up until 3 o'clock in the morning, and then right at 3 o'clock, Katie got sick, and she was sick all day Thursday And then I got sick Friday evening. It's been a hard week. Our home does not look like this this week at all. It's messy. It kind of smells a little bit because we've all been sick. It doesn't look like this. But I wonder, I wonder how much all of us are a bit more like Jesus because we were together during that frustrating time. This week, I had to call on some of you, other Christ followers, to come and help us, because we couldn't do it all by ourselves. We couldn't take care of our girls all by ourselves, so we sent out an email to five or six people, hey, could you come and watch our kids for a little while, because we just can't do it. It was an opportunity for us to lean on the body of Christ. And of course, the body of Christ came through for us. Our homes are a place of spiritual formation. The word of God is to be on our hearts as we sit at home. So when you are having breakfast or playing a game or reading a book or listening to music or, yes, watching TV, these are moments in your home, opportunities to allow the word of God to shape us rather than some other message that is thrown your way. And even in the dissatisfaction and the disappointments that you experience in your home, maybe even especially in those dissatisfactions and disappointments, we are able to experience joy because we know that God is there. Even though our home is not perfect, even though it doesn't hardly ever look like that, Even though the relationships that are there are not perfect, God is there. And he wants to bring his word into those imperfections and disappointments. And because of that, we can be people of joy. And the last point that we've been making is that we are a people of mission. If we are willing to die to the idea that our homes belong to us, If we're willing to be open to God in our homes, then we will then also find that our homes are a place to participate in the mission of God. If we believe that this idea, in this idea that our homes are a place of retreat, that our home is our castle, then we will never be able to see our homes as a place of mission. But if we remember that our homes do not belong to us, they belong to God and that we are stewards of them, we can begin to ask, how is it that God wants to use this place for him? It belongs to him anyways. How can I use this for the sake of his kingdom? 
So what does this mean for you in your life? How can you use your home as a place of mission? For Katie and I, and I want to say to you that this is for Katie and I, this isn't necessarily for everyone, but for Katie and I, it has meant very practically and intentionally and frequently practicing hospitality. We want others frequently to be in our home. We want our little girls to interact with other people in our home so that they can realize that this is not their space that belongs to them. It's a space that belongs to God and to others. And so this practice of hospitality has been important for us, and we are very grateful for Ebenezer, for this house that we get to live in. It's provided us with so many opportunities to live out this calling in our life that we would not have had otherwise if we had to buy or to rent a place because it simply would have been much smaller and would not have provided us those kinds of opportunities. Ebenezer, don't ever sell that house. Okay. There are churches that have made that mistake. Books get low and they sell the house in order to keep things going. Don't sell that house. It's a place of ministry. So that's what it's meant for Katie and I, to use our home as a place of mission, to practice hospitality regularly. And we've done that by inviting people to live with us for an extended amount of time and invited people to lunches and celebrations and those kinds of things. And I don't want to pretend that this kind of calling to hospitality is for everyone, at least not in the same way that Katie and I have been called to it. But what I do want to say very clearly to you is that your home is a place of mission. God has given it to you, and he has given it to you not just for yourself, but for him and for his sake. How is God calling you to use your home for him? I can't answer that question for you, but how is he calling you to use your home for him? How would dying to your home as a place that belongs to you as your castle, how would being open to God in that place lead you to using that place for the work of God? Our homes are important places for all of us. They are our central places that God wants to use to form our hearts. The word of God is to be written on our hearts, Deuteronomy says. It is to be the language of our heart And it cannot be the language of our heart unless the word of God is a part of our everyday life, an integral part of our everyday life. Coming to church on Sunday is not enough to have the word of God become the language of your heart. The word of God must become a part of your everyday life, your interactions with your family, your interactions with your friends, you're, sit, you're laying down and you're getting up. You're walking along the road and you're sitting at home. The word of God must become a part of your everyday life. This is how, according to Deuteronomy 6, our hearts will be spiritually formed to be like the heart of Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would Make your word at the very center of our life, in every time and in every place and in every relationship, that the word of God would be the source of our actions and our thoughts about how we should be. Lord, I pray that you would show us how we can do that in our lives. 
I pray that especially for our homes, that as parents that you would give us the ability to impress the word onto our children, that they may learn to see you and to recognize you and to resist the many thousands of messages that they hear every day that are not from you. God, I pray that each of us would learn that our homes are a place where you are seeking to form us in the joys as well as in the disappointments. God, and I pray that you would show us, that you would show each of us, Lord, how you want us to use our home as a place to go about your work in the world. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.